the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. You can hear the program each weekday afternoon from 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Tim DeMoss Show on AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. A little bit after 4 o'clock, forecast for the rest of the day heading into the evening. It's kind of cloudy. Low about 30 eventually tonight, then tomorrow a good deal of sun and a high up to 40. There's some sun in the Eagles forecast after a big win last night. 30-23 over the Rams in Sunday night football. Nick Foles back in the uh, saddle again. He started a couple of, couple of games at the beginning of the season, then Carson Wentz came back in. Had his third best uh, completion percentage ever in his career. 24 for 31, 77.4% to be exact. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, eight, uh, eight catches, 160 yards. They look good. Wendell Small with a couple of touchdowns. Josh Adams had one. Jake Elliott made three field goals. He's made 13 in a row. Dare we begin thinking they could actually get into the playoffs? I know people have been holding out hope a little bit. They're 7-7, seven and seven, just a couple games to go. They uh, don't completely control their destiny here. They have to keep winning and hope there's another loss or two some, with some of the other teams that are in the mix. One of those teams is uh, playing tonight, Carolina. Home against New Orleans in Monday Night Football. Sixers with a big win. Ben Simmons with a triple-double. They play at San Antonio tonight. And the Flyers are home tomorrow night against Detroit. Behind the bench, a new head coach for them. The Flyers have let go Dave Hackstall, who has been uh, behind the bench for a few seasons now. And they're bringing in Scott Gordon, who was the uh, head coach at Lehigh Valley most recently. He's also coached the Islanders and uh, been an assistant in Toronto. So we may even have one of our famed four sports reporters who have been on this program, Rob Motti or Gary Cobb or Mike Sielski or Marcus Hayes. We'll be checking in with one of those guys perhaps later in the hour to talk a little bit more about all that. Uh, but before we go any further, we have some Christmas music. We wanted to feature the last couple of programs. We haven't had an opportunity to do this because uh, the program just kind of uh, had a lot, lot of other interviews and stuff going on. So let me grab this little story because – as Christmas approaches, we wanted to feature um, several Christmas songs and perhaps a little bit of a story behind them. So today's song that we're going to play is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. It's a Christmas carol based on a poem from 1863. The poem is called Christmas Bells by American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. The song tells of the narrator's despair upon hearing Christmas bells that Quote, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a message, I guess, uh, even nowadays where there's a lot of divisiveness in our culture uh, in, in some cases that would resonate, you know, 150 years later. Uh, in 1861, the backstory is two years before the poem was written, Longfellow's uh, personal peace was pretty shaken. His wife had uh, bur uh, died in a fire. Uh, and then a couple years later, during the American Civil War, his oldest son defected, went to the Union cause as a soldier without his father's blessing. And so there are a lot of other things going on in Longfellow's life. Uh, his son actually was wounded, uh, survived, but there was a lot going on for him. So 
He wrote this poem first on Christmas Day in 1863, Longfellow did, uh, but it was not set to music till almost 10 years later in 1872. And uh, then it was known to have been set to music by an English organist, John Baptiste Kalkin. And uh, then in 1956, Bing Crosby recorded a version, and that's the one we're going to play for you now. It became a, a, a hit of sorts at the time and very well known. So let's give you a little sample of Christmas as we head toward that. It's just coming up next week, a week from tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Bing Crosby version. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. WFIL. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play And wild and sweet The words repeat Of peace on earth Goodwill to men Goodwill to men I thought as now this day had come The belfries of Christendom had rung so long the unbroken song of peace on earth, good will to men. Peace on earth, good will to And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said For hate is strong And mocks the song Of peace on earth, goodwill to men Then peal the bells more loud and deep God is not dead nor doth he sleep The wrong shall fail The right prevail With peace on earth Good WFIL.com. There you go, the Bing Crosby version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. That last line, actually the last two stanzas. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace, peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Casting Crowns more recently has done that song. Been uh, around for a number of years now in the Christian music world and well-known. And uh, they did that about 10 years back. It became actually a hit for them, too. Uh, In any case, just to give you a sample of the sounds of the season, if it were, as it were, I should say. It's 4.09. We'll do a short break, and then we'll continue our program today. 
Donna Rice Hughes is going to join us. She's the president and CEO of an organization called Enough is Enough. Has a pretty cool story to share about Starbucks and some other things that she's involved with with EOE. Back in just a second on WFIL. You're listening to a podcast of The Tim DeMoss Show. Heard weekday afternoons 4 till 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. 412 AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Show. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the program, certainly feel free to let other people know about it. You can also help yourself to podcasts. We have a bunch of those on our website, WFIL.com. Our next guest is Donna Rice Hughes. She is the president and CEO of uh, Enough is Enough. Hello, Donna. Uh, how are you doing today? Welcome to our swell broadcast. Glad to have you aboard. You there? Got the right button? Here we go. Hello. Hello. Great to be Here with you, Tim. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for joining us. Let's start. Let's jump right. You've been all over the place. People will know your name from many different places. And as far as it pertains to EIE, you've been on and interviewed and featured on pretty much every show. So <laughs> it'd be shorter to list the shows you haven't been on than the ones you have. So, <laughs> um, But let's start with EIE. You know, enough is enough. Tell folks what it's about and where it came from. What was the genesis of it? Absolutely. Well, uh, Enough is Enough began in 1992, and I joined in, in 1994, and the focus at that point was to raise awareness about the new dangers that were starting to surface on the brand-new Internet. Yeah. And, and so we launched the Internet Safety Movement in, in the United States of America in 1994 and 1995 to get ahead or to try to get ahead of the, the reality that kids were having unfettered Internet access to very hardcore pornography as well as child pornography, and sexual predators were, through the Internet, having unfettered access to kids and to vulnerable kids. And so that's how we got started. And fast forward, it's been 25 years. I'm the president now, and we're still on the cutting edge, pioneering new efforts. Uh, and we, at one point, uh, created a, a curriculum for parents called the Internet Safety 101 program, and it's still up online at internetsafety101.org to teach parents and empower them what the dangers are online and how to keep their kids safe. We keep all that updated at that website, and we won an Emmy Award for it when we got it on uh, PBS. Yeah, and now it's just that. got breaking news campaigns. I mean, we're just we're all over this because the problem is, Tim, we've got a lot of the laws we got passed either didn't get upheld by the Supreme Court in the '90s, or the ones we do have on the books are not being enforced. And parents are still really shouldering the lion's share of the responsibility to keep their kids safe from both criminal and illegal content and activity as well as just dangerous content. Yeah. And so we're we're out there trying to make a difference on so many different levels. That's good. Well, and you've covered them in a, in a very concise way, and then there's, I'm sure we can unpack that some. Uh, Donna Rice-Hughes is our guest. Uh, before we go further, what was the name of the site? It was the Internet Safety 101 program as far as helping parents. Is it the yes. website, the same thing, just .com or? .org. .org. InternetSafety101.org. That's where folks can go to find out more about that aspect of it. And uh, it's kind of neat because you mentioned PBS. It was, it was a special. And uh, I think regionally we have Comcast out this way as part of the options for people. They were part of it. I mean, they they received yes, it, it right? And, and and you had got some tele awards for that. 
Well, we did. We won some Telly Awards. In fact, Comcast uh, aired the, the Internet Safety 101 TV series that we did with PBS and made it available to your market. So if, if that's now available on Vimeo, anybody that missed it, even though we created the program in around 2010 or 12, the information is still very pertinent. And we deal with everything there, talking about cyberbullying issues, how to keep kids safe there, and uh, just in all these different areas because kids are, you know, 24-7 with their smartphones now. And they're now hopping onto Wi-Fi networks, which brings up one of our more recent campaigns. We started the Safe Wi-Fi movement in the United States of America to get businesses offering free Wi-Fi in their places of business to voluntarily filter child pornography and pornography so that that Wi-Fi is actually safe. And we started with McDonald's and Starbucks a number of years ago. McDonald's took up the challenge and began filtering in 14,000 restaurants in America two and a half years ago. And Mm. we're so proud of them. That's great. And Starbucks, yeah, Starbucks really ignored us for a while, but then (laughs) we embarrassed them publicly a couple of years ago and they said okay we're going to start filtering and two and a half years went by and they hadn't done anything so two weeks ago we called them out for a broken promise and the media got involved and it ran all over fortune magazine and uh forbes magazine nbc cbs fox cnn business insider and starbucks taped and they said okay we're going to start filtering our wi-fi in 2019. Now, what's key about this is that they have been filtering their Wi-Fi in the United Kingdom for six years. So yeah. we were just saying, what about America's kids? Right. Why do you think they, they have not, I mean, do you think it's more culturally acceptable in some countries to say, we don't mind that, we even applaud it, where here they might be have more pushback and they're afraid of other people saying, well, we, we want I it. don't. I think that they, they really saw our campaign, even though we had 50,000 petitions a, a number of years ago. We're, we're a small organization, and we're 100% donor-funded. And I believe they thought that we might go away because we, we gave them a big applause when they first announced that they would filter two years ago, and they got all the PR value, but they never did it. And and so I we got set up, and we said, okay, but that two and a half years is a long time for a multi-billion-dollar company to keep its promise. And uh, so, so we called them out, and they announced 24 hours after a press release two weeks ago that wow. they would start filtering because the media started calling them saying, hey, Starbucks, what about your pledge? Isn't that something? Donna Rice-Hughes is our guest. She's the uh, CEO and president of Enough is Enough. And uh, you mentioned a few things, kind of like a three-prong you mentioned parents, you mentioned uh, media, I guess, and also like the legal side of things. So things are, there might be laws out there that are not being enforced. And, uh, you know, what good's a law if it's not being enforced? And, and so, exactly. right. So there's several different ways to go about this. It helps to have laws, it helps to have positive media behind all that. Uh, but in the end, parents are going to have to, one way or the other, still have to lead the charge. So, well, there's no question. Parents are and always will be the first line of defense. I mean, that's, that's part of our uh, commission, if you will, from the Lord, particularly people of faith, to be a good steward and, and, and to raise up a child in the way that they should go and, and to be aware of the evil influences in the culture and to help them make wise choices and understand as they grow how to make those choices and to teach them 
in, in our case, about healthy sexuality so they can recognize a counterfeit. And, and I'll tell you, Tim, it's just outrageous to me after over two decades of fighting on these fronts that kids are consuming hardcore pornography because it's readily available because we can't get our obscenity laws enforced. And, and, and this shouldn't be. The parents need to realize that. Now, as far as law enforcement goes and public policy, yeah. we're, we're doing a better job on our sex trafficking laws. Uh, we're doing a better job on enforcing child pornography laws. We actually wrote a Children's Internet Safety Presidential Pledge that Donald Trump signed and Hillary Clinton got behind before the election and said, this is the first time in history we've got a, a sitting president that has agreed to make the protection of children in the digital age a top priority. And so we're really hoping that this new attorney general will actually begin, if he gets approved, uh, William Barr right. uh, by the Senate, that, that he will actually start prosecuting these obscenity laws because all this content, as far as the very hardcore extreme content that's out there, it, it shouldn't be there. But America is the number one producer and exporter of this content around the world. And that is embarrassing. Have you found that the uh, law enforcement side of things is just or, or people in, in authority who have the opportunity to enforce things? Part of it's educating them because they could also feel like, where is it coming from? Is it even coming from the states? Is it being imported from another country? How do you protect? And yeah. what are some of the yeah. – you can't stop everything. You can't stop the heart of man that has you know has its evil in it. That's completely 100 percent until we get to heaven. It's, this world's broken. But it doesn't mean you do, no, you do nothing. Well, exactly. I mean, we've got laws on the books that they need to be enforced, and, and, and that's the whole point. We, we make with the sexual uh, – preventing the sexual exploitation of children and women and even men in our culture. When you've got laws on the books and you're ignoring part of them, that's not the way to go. I mean, they're on the books to be enforced. You think so, they just I mean, don't everybody know? Everybody would be driving yeah, – well, you're right. We do have to educate our, our policymakers and law enforcement, and in fact, in the um, – and the Internet Safety Presidential Pledge, it's actually on our website at enough.org, we put all the data points into statistics showing why all these laws need to be enforced. And we gave data of kids accessing porn. We gave data of the sex trafficking problem. Just in the United States alone, we get data points on child pornography. The United States of America leads the world are, is number two, has been number one, but it's now number two, leading the world in child pornography. That's just insane. So, so these are, are issues that our government needs to pay attention to, that the Department of Justice needs more money. Congress needs to appropriate more money. I personally believe, and I'm going to get on my high horse here for just a minute, <laughs> okay. that, that I really believe that protecting the innocence and, and the dignity of our children should be just as important as uh, protecting our nation from terrorists. It should be just as important as dealing with the opioid crisis. It should be just as important as all these other issues because our children are our future, and we're responsible for them, not just parents, but corporate America and, and government. And the Supreme Court has even said that the government has a compelling interest to protect children in our nation, and we need to do better. Donna Rice-Hughes is our guest, president and CEO of Enough is Enough. Enough.org is their site. 
We'll take a short break and continue our chat with Donna. Also, looking forward to having David Rashi. He's an actor who's in a new uh, uh, TV series, and we're going to talk with him. He was in an 80s sitcom called Sledgehammer, among other things. And uh, we're looking forward to having him in here before the program is over as well. More to come in just a couple minutes on AM 560, WFIL, WFIL.com. You're listening to The Tim DeMoss Show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to The Tim DeMoss Show podcast with AM 560, WFIL, and WFIL.com. It's 427, WFIL, WFIL.com. You know, uh, just as a side note, as I'm hearing that Christmas greeting, we have what's known, you know, in, in radio as a, a dump button. Uh, you know, in case it would not expect it on this show, but in case we had a caller said something inappropriate, we we have a way of of dumping that out. And um, you know, I, I heard the Heather talking about go Cardinals. I don't understand. Did couldn't you, can you splice that out or? Yeah, all right. I'm just looking over at Joe, who also completed that promo there. So I don't know how that got in there, but that seems rather inappropriate being in Philadelphia. But in any case, we'll let it slide for now. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, obviously. We are allowed to root for any team you want. In fact, Joe himself is a Cubs fan, and I'm okay with that because my mom was born in Chicago and is a big Cubs fan. We have a guest coming up who is also from Chicago, actor David Rashi, who I mentioned before the break. He was in an 80s sitcom called Sledgehammer, and he's in a, a series now called Malibu Dan, The Family Man, which is on Pure Flicks with David A.R. White. We'll get to him shortly, but we want to continue our chat for now with Donna Rice-Hughes. from. Uh, uh, she's the president and CEO of Enough is Enough, and we've been talking about uh, a recent uh, situation with Starbucks, how – their internet access uh, in the states was not filtered to the point where it would prevent certain inappropriate things, including uh, the opportunity for uh, pornography and on a harder side of things. And um, they actually do that in other countries, but not here. And so Enough is Enough, which Donna has been working with for many, many years, has been really trying to put some pressure on and say, hey, that's not appropriate. It's not okay. And so we're talking about filtering. We're also talking about the heart, though, because uh, regardless of what's going on in the world around you, you do have to be um, you know, diligent and faithful with your own eyes and your own heart. If you're parents, you have to teach your kids that way and that sort of thing. So anyway, Donna, let's talk about these things. Continue on. Well, well one of the things that we've begun doing with, with for instance, the, the hardcore pornography laws, which are obscenity, and, and I think it's important that, that viewers understand this because certainly prosecutors haven't always un- understood this. Those laws are on the books. It is prosecutable for that content to be produced and distributed. And this is the majority of the of the heart of the material, the pornographic material that is on the internet, and it is mainstream now. So, so we need people to understand that that it's not even protected speech for adults. Yet our kids have easy access to it, and you know, kids as young as seven, eight, nine, ten years old are getting hooked on this material, boys and girls, and that is is just incredible. But um, I, mean, I mean, it's sad. And then they can get addicted to it at a, at a very young age and, and have an ongoing problem. And, and, and it's also a growing problem in the church as well, and even with church leadership. And so I think if we recognize the matter of the heart, that we're, none of us are immune to any of these temptations that are out there. And I do believe that the church needs us to be a safe place for people who are struggling to be able to bring these issues into the light and to get help and to get healing. And we've got a lot of resources on our site as well at enough.org so that 
people can get the help and support that they need. One of the neat stories that's on your site right now is about the, what's happening at Notre Dame. Maybe you could share about that. Yes, exactly. So, so back to the Safe Wi-Fi campaign, we got word a number of months ago that the, the male students at Notre Dame, led by one young man named Jim, appealed to the university leadership to filter their Wi-Fi from pornography because they didn't want the temptation. And we're just so proud of them. And the boys and the girls on campus started a petition calling on the university president to filter the Wi-Fi. We learned about it. We started our own petition just this week. And we encourage your listeners to go sign it at enough.org. It's right up on the homepage, calling out the university leadership and the board of trustees to listen to their students and to provide safe Wi-Fi. And we would ask them to, to, to filter child pornography as well. And, and we're really hoping Notre Dame's going to take notice of this. They're getting national attention. And that other universities and colleges across the country whose yeah. funds for tuition are paying for Wi-Fi will say, wait a minute. We need to make sure that this is safe and to provide a safe environment for these students to access the Internet and not have all this stuff, all the good the Internet has to offer and all the bad and even all the illegal. I mean, that's just sure. saying enough is enough to that. And so I would say if anybody in your listening audience is involved in a university up in your area to say, hey, wait a minute, are we filtering Wi-Fi? No, probably not, because we don't know of anybody that is, quite frankly. And to start to look into that, because it's inexpensive. The Wi-Fi providers that you're using usually have a filtering mechanism that you can simply ask to be turned on, and you can make sure that those college campuses are safe, because, hey, look, I mean, we've got, we've got a pandemic of sexual violence on campus. One in five women while attending colleges are sexually assaulted and one in 16 men. And we know that hardcore pornography scenes, about 88% of them depict physical or verbal aggression against uh, women and girls. So we're, we're fueling this. And so we can't always stop that, but we can certainly stop the fuel on this problem and at least be responsible as a university. Donna Rice Hughes is our guest. She's the CEO and president of Enough is Enough. Enough.org is their site. Uh, good for Jim at Notre Dame for doing that. That student, as you see, then more students are joining in, not just the guys, but the girls and, uh, and the women there. And you think about as you're talking, there's a, a short few verses our family has memorized um, around the dinner table. Let your, it's uh, Proverbs 4. Uh, 25 to 27. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the left or the right. Keep your foot from evil. And um, just very, very proactive. Uh, we even talk about the fact that it says the word foot, not feet. Like don't take even one step in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and that the Lord wants us to be very focused on what he wants us to do. And he wants to guard our hearts. He wants good for us. And so, uh, to take that proactive step, uh, I've had my kids give me like their laptop and say, "When I go to bed, here's my laptop, so so I don't have it in my room." They want they want it's that good. that accountability, right? So that's the part of it comes back to we have to teach our kids, we have to do it and live it, and then expand as you're talking about whether it's perhaps signing a petition at your site, whether it's having a conversation at our kids' college locally and looking into things, and and obviously a godly way, right? You want you're not trying to be. <laughs> Be a jerk about it or something, but you also want to stand up. Well, uh, we're called to be salt and light, as you said, and we're also called 
called to expose evil. And what we found in the corporate world and even the schools, etc., they haven't really necessarily thought about their Wi-Fi as being unsafe. So we've had to, to educate, well, look, when you open up Wi-Fi, it's all the good and all the bad. And so we, we've been teaching parents for two decades to use filtering technology and, and monitoring technology and even time control. These are all parental control tools right. on every Internet-enabled device used by their kids. That's a smartphone. That's gaming devices. Very important. Sometimes people, parents forget it. They, they remember the laptop. They might think about the phone, but they completely forget about the, the gaming device. Right. You need all those tools on every single device that has open Internet. It's a lot. I'll share this with you too, Donna. This, uh, there's a scripture that I come to a lot of times uh, in, in, uh, in Psalms where it says, every, um, you know, there's the verse that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But right after that, it says, our God is a sun and shield. No good thing does he hold back from those whose walk is blameless. And mm. I think about that verse all the time because it really is basically saying that God is not in the business of withholding anything good from you ever. It's not That's like, right. oh, walk with God. Then when you're dead, you'll be glad because you go to heaven and it'll be better there. But for now, you kind of got to suck it mm. up and you're missing out. It's like, no, you're not missing out. You're never missing out when you follow him. And that would include well, these so areas, right. you know. And, and he has, he, he wants what's best for us. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. We know that. He is a loving God. He wants us to enjoy every good gift he's given us, including our sexuality. Yeah. And, 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 you know, God created sex. This was his idea. And, 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 and all of the sexual exploitation is a perversion of what he meant for good that the enemy is trying to use for evil, and all these forces are out there. And so it's so important that we guard, guard our hearts as men and women, and it's important that we guard the eyes and the ears and the hearts of our kids and help them to learn how to guard their hearts and their ears and their eyes so that when they leave our home, that they can make good and wise decisions. And even while they're in our home, they, they, they will make these good and wise decisions and recognize that, that these are some of the things that we're fighting at Enough is Enough and also standing up for to protect the sexual innocence of our children is right, right front and center on God's heart. This is important for our well-being because Jesus said he came to set the captives free and he also came to, to give us abundant life. And so we want that for everyone, just like he does. Amen. A lot of good words in there, a lot of good scripture. The one I refer to is Psalm 8411, and you're talking abundantly. Yeah, Jesus said in John 1010, 10, come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so uh, yes. I don't know, with all these things you're sharing, Donnie, I, I keep coming back to my heart and saying I have to square one to me, as at least as it starts with the body of Christ and, and people of faith who want to uh, see you know, these things happen, is you have to believe and know that God's good and that that he will help you do all these things and that this is not just about I'm against that. I'm against that. I'm against that. Uh, because that's worth doing also, right? Obviously you put the pressure on Starbucks or whoever else it is, is you don't have to sit by and be quiet and suck your thumb. But at the same time, you know, we want to make sure that in our own personal world, each, each one of us is seeking to, to know that he loves us and then live out of that love. And so, Keep up the good work, well, will you? that's ya? right. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. It's so great to, to be on your show and to talk to you again, Tim. And, yeah. you know, I just wish you and, and all your listeners a Merry Christmas. It's a good time to be still and, and to remember all, all the many blessings we have in our country. Amen. Because we really do. And I'm just saying amen and amen to that and wishing all of you 
a wonderful, wonderful holiday. Thank you, Donna. Thanks, Tim. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Donna Rice-Hughes, president and CEO of Enough is Enough. Enough.org is their site for information, their newsletter. If you'd like to support them, there's lots of ways you can go about that. We're going to take a short break and come back at you. Gary G. Cobb from gcobb.com going to join us and make some sense out of some of the things going on in Eagle Land. And the Flyers have a new head coach, at least for the rest of this season. We'll chat about that and a little bit more coming up in just a moment. AM 560 WFIL and WFIL.com. Have a guest you'd like to hear on the Tim DeMoss Show on AM560 WFIL? Email D at WFIL.com. 442 AM560 WFIL, WFIL.com. It's Tim DeMoss Show. Uh, forecast calling for some clouds tonight, low 30. A lot of sun tomorrow, high up to 40. It's supposed to be about 40 to 45 for the next 10 days, just to keep it real simple. Except for Friday, it's supposed to get like 60. It's kind of weird. Sixers won yesterday. Ben Simmons with a triple-double. They're at San Antonio tonight. Flyers are home tomorrow with a new head coach behind the bench, at least for the rest of this season. Dave Hackstall has been around the past few years. Fired. They have a new head coach, Scott Gordon. He was the Lehigh Valley Phantoms uh, head coach the past few years. He also was with the Islanders in Toronto as an assistant in the past. The biggest news, though, of all, perhaps, the Eagles win last night over the Rams, 30-23. to Sunday Night Football keeps them in the running for the playoffs. And to chat about that right now is uh, Gary G. Cobb from gcobb.com. Hello, Gary. What's happening? How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great there, Timothy. <laughs> so, quite a game, huh? I was trying to go to bed, but I couldn't. <laughs> well, you know, you got to give them a lot of credit. They, um... They really came out to play and really took it, took it, uh, took it to the Rams. I was shocked. I, I really didn't pick them to win the game. Yeah. I thought Nick. I thought Nick Foles would do a good job in place of Carson because Nick has uh, a lot of experience, and plus he had been sitting there watching Carson all year. And he's sitting in the meetings. He's listening to all the corrections. He's seeing things that could be done and that sort of thing. So. I thought he would be ready to play, and he was. Yeah. And they really played well, but they, they really took it to the Rams, and you got to give the whole team credit because everybody contributed to the victory. Coach Peterson said that it's going to be Nick again, at least this next week, officially said that today, the press conference. and uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. It'll, it'll be Nick again because Carson is really, um, he's really banged up. I mean, he's, he's coming back from the, um, the ACL tear that – He's just a year out from that. Plus, he's got a fracture in his back. And see, the combination of all of that takes his toll. And I know that uh, Carson really pushes himself, you know, for excellence. Uh, but uh, sometimes you get to the point where um, you're really probably trying to do too much. And I, I think they put too much of the offense on his back. I would have liked to have seen them run more. You see they did that uh, for, for, uh, for Nick where they – I've got the running game going, and then it makes it easier on a quarterback, and he, he can't be getting pounded all the time. It was a tough year. It's been a tough year for Carson with everything that was asked of him and the fact that the offensive line really wasn't playing that well this year because of some of the injuries. And yet every time they panned to him yesterday, he was smiling, and you know Romans twelve fifteen comes to mind, just the first sentence. Rejoice with those who rejoice. 
I have a friend of mine who says, you know, the rest of that part, mourn with those who mourn. It's easy to do because the person you're mourning with is has it worse than you do at that moment. But to rejoice mm-hmm. with someone who rejoices, you know, I mean, and, and Nick is very good to make sure he says, yeah, I feel very badly for Carson. But that shows some some character on, on uh, Carson's part to be able to keep, uh, at least on the outside, smiling and supporting and being completely involved. Well, you know, he's been very uh, open about that. You know, even last year saying, you know, what a challenge it was uh, to be rejoicing really and uh, pleased at the fact that the team won a Super Bowl, even though he wasn't able to be directly involved at the time when they were winning it, how tough it was and it took discipline and the fact that uh, the thing they rely on is that, you know, they have such a close relationship and really love and respect each other. And so they can root for their teammates and in spite of the fact that maybe everything that they wanted to go on with their individual careers is not where it should be, where, where they want it to be. But the fact that uh, they can really kind of uh, celebrate the success of one of, the, of their teammates, you know, that, that takes, some, uh, it takes some self-control and it, it takes really dipping back into that love that God, the love that God put in all of our hearts, Amen. really to value other people more than we value ourselves is really what it comes down to. Speaking of celebrating, as we head into a break here and wrap up, what's the Cobb household and family, extended family, have in store for Christmas this coming week? Well, we got uh, we got everybody getting together. You know, we got the family, you know, up in uh, North Jersey and uh, coming from up in Boston and from L.A. So wow. we, got a lot of, we got a lot of family coming in, and we're going to spend a lot of time together just kind of enjoying each other's company and... and um, giving some praise to the Lord for uh, the fact that we're enjoying another, another Christmas and everything, but uh, a lot of food. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to contribute as an eater, not as much of a, as a, a food preparer, but I will go and get it from the store. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're a team player. That's always how you've been, G. Hey, I can contribute what I can, so I will show up with a good appetite. Your wife will put you in position to, to eat food, eat plays, whatever <laughs> the... <laughs> Hey, that's it. And I'm just going to do my best. Eat I'm going to do my best. <laughs> to eat that's right. That's right. Gee, it's a pleasure having you. GCob.com is where you can look them up. Have a great Christmas. God bless you and your family. Bye-bye. Hey, good talking to you, Tim. You God too. Bless. As always, uh, great great conversation, Gary G. Cobb. It's Tim DeMoss Show. Short break. We'll come back at you with one final segment with David Rashi in just a moment on WFIL. It's the Tim DeMoss Show podcast, available at WFIL.com. Thanks for listening. It's 451, the Tim DeMoss Show, cracking out the shoehorn to get one more segment in here. Just enough time for a pleasant conversation with David Rashi. He's from the Sledgehammer uh, sitcom in the 80s and more recently, and many other things, Malibu Dan, The Family Man. It's a uh, a new show on Pure Flix, been around for a season or two. David A.R. White, the uh, producer for that. Hello, David Rashi. I'm fine, thank you. W-F-I-L, should it be W-P-H-I-L? Isn't that sort of misspelling? Uh... <laughs> well, I think there might be too many letters then. That would be five. Okay. See what? Okay, that's a good excuse. All right. But it's a, uh, I accept that. It's a good thought. Well, you have, uh, <laughs> you've had a long and storied career, many stops along the way, dozens of movies, TV show roles, appearances, and... One, of course, to, to lead off with, and I have a reason for this, obviously Sledgehammer in the 80s, where you were Inspector Sledge uh, Hammer. I showed a clip of that to my kids last night, the Elvis Impersonator School one, and they were rolling. They'd never seen it before. <laughs> oh, well, great. It's good to hear 
that uh, so much of it holds up. You know, it was a long time ago, and uh, uh, taste and comedy have changed quite a bit since then, but it's really... It's good to hear that it holds up. Yeah, absolutely. For those who never saw it, because, you know, my kids are 20 and 18, so it's not too late to have a new generation of fans. What was the basic storyline behind, or the, the premise behind Sledgehammer? Well, Sledgehammer was, he was, he was sort of like, um, first people in the remember who that is, but, you know, Dirty Harry, uh, Clint Eastwood on a bad day. He was about this, co- this overzealous cop who wanted to... Uh, uh, nab bad guys, and if he couldn't nab bad guys, he would nab people who looked like they might be bad guys. <laughs> Except a lot of times they weren't bad guys. Right. And, uh, you know, Jay Walkers needed to be punished, and so it, they, they needed to be uh, shot if necessary. <laughs> so he took everything to the kind of uh, uh, an extreme, yeah. and uh, that was kind of the source of the comedy. Sledgehammer was directed for a while by Bill Bixby. A lot of folks remember him from My Favorite Martian, Courtship of Eddie's Father, The Incredible Hulk. What was it like working with him? Yeah. He was great. He was, uh, Bill Bixby was just a fountain of energy. He was always, let's go, let's go, we're going to shoot a television show, we're going to go, we're going <laughs> to. And he was funny and dear, and uh, every time, when he walked on the set, he elevated the whole thing. Everybody suddenly had energy because... We took his energy. He loved the show. He, he, he just couldn't get enough of it, and he couldn't direct enough of them. So when he was on, he was always trying to find something funny or something funny to shoot or some funny way to shoot it. He was a delightful guy. He became a friend of mine afterwards. We spent a lot of time together before he died, and uh, he kept dying, uh, kept working to his dying day. He, was, uh, he had, had um, prostate cancer hmm. and worked, I don't know, until... Very close to his death. He was, he was really such an energetic guy and a kind, wonderful person. Pleased to have David Rashi on the show. Men in Black 3, United 93, Columbo, Malcolm in the Middle. Just a veep, a few of the movies and shows people know you from, as well as one of our family's favorite shows, Monk. You were in season two. Mr. Monk goes back to school. <laughs> was that a fun experience for you? And what was it like working with Tony Shalhoub? Well, he, you know, again, he's, He's just, there are a few people in this business who are really so extraordinarily talented and kind. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Deep was one, and Ted Danson is certainly one, and uh, Tony Shalhoub is absolutely one. It was fun to work on it because you try to figure out what you could do to gross him out the most, <laughs> right? Knowing that his, he was so fastidious and so easily grossed out. Uh, the, uh, the job of any of the guest stars was to figure out how to how to do that and make him uh, squirm. Uh, so that was the fun of it for me. More recently, uh, you know, this year you appeared in Malibu Dan, The Family Man, on Pure Flix with David A. R. White. How did you get involved with that show? Well, it was actually because of Sledgehammer. It was Sledgehammer was one of his favorite shows, and uh, he's blonde and I'm blonde, and I guess he put two and two together and said, "Let's uh, let's get David on to be my dad." <laughs> So um, uh, I went on, and of course I had to twist my arm. I was forced to work with Cheryl Ladd. Yeah, that's hard. You can imagine that was just such a yeah. That's that, a great that, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> he's such a beauty. Very great, great person. And um, the show is a real. Uh, a, it's a really, really honestly a family show. You know, there are those that say they are and aren't, but this one really is. And um, it's uh, you know Dave White. It's he's created it. He created the platform that it's on. He's a brilliant guy, uh, very ambitious and uh, and very um, energetic. 
you know, every week there's some kind of family crisis, which everyone who watches the show and everyone who has a family, which is everybody, because everybody had a family, they'll recognize yeah. some situation. And uh, the writing is funny. Dave is great, funny. The whole cast is, uh, it was lovely to work on, and I hope people watch it. David Ross, he's our guest. I went to a small Christian school, graduated in 86, and when I was in eighth grade, a company from SCTV came. They were amazing, very polished, gifted at improv. <laughs> Part of your journey included a stop at SCTV, right? That was, you, yes. You, yeah. Which school did you go to? Uh, it was called Philmont Christian Academy, in, uh, just in the State? border of Philly. Uh, where is it? Uh, Erdenheim, Springfield oh, area. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever go touring around and doing all that? Well, I did. You know, there was really nothing more fun. I mean, I, you have to remember, I was there in a, in the, before anybody knew what Second City was. You know, there was before Saturday Night Live. And uh, my cast was uh, Bill Murray and um, Gilda Radner and John Candy. And so I was with some pretty, pretty remarkable people. And, yeah, there's nothing. It was all improvised, so there's nothing more fun than, you know, you have your day and you meet somebody crazy on the bus or whatever, you have an idea, and you come in and you say, let's do a scene about the bus driver. Yep. And you do it. <laughs> and you could, you, you, it's just really immediate gratification. I know you have a full time of uh, interviews, but I, I, one last thing I want to run for you. Uh, FIL here in Philly is actually a Christian formatted station, and I understand your dad was a minister, that you have that in the family. You even went to divinity school for a couple of years and were in a choir and all that. Did you ever think about becoming a pastor at one point in your journey or something ministry-related in that regard? I did. Well, my whole family is ministers. They're congregational ministers. And my grandfather, my his father, my grandmother, was her father was a minister. My yeah. uncles were all ministers. And I did. I was in divinity school for two years uh, in Chicago. Yeah. But I, uh, I realized after, or actually they realized, they, they told me after two years, they thought I might be happier elsewhere. <laughs> uh, and so they, <laughs> they, you know, punctured my balloon. It was better. I, I wasn't cut out for it. Uh, my dad was, I wasn't. But uh, it, was, it was interesting years I spent there. Yeah. Well, I know you have a full day. Thank you so much for your time. I hope we can chat again sometime. Merry Christmas to you, and have a wonderful day. Great. You too. Thanks very much. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye. Actor David Rashi on the show today. G. Cobb, Donna Rice-Hughes. Catch the podcast in about an hour at WFIL.com. Jim Maxim, going to pray next. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Tim DeMoss Show podcast. Feel free to tune in to the full show each weekday afternoon from 4 to 5 on AM 560 WFIL and at WFIL.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.